Welcome to Freedom of Species. Freedom of Species is a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. Recent podcasts, audio on demand and live streaming available from the 3CR website. All podcasts are available from the Freedom of Species website and you can subscribe to the program via iTunes. Hello, I'm Kate Elliott. On today's program, we're very grateful to the Institute of Critical Animal Studies Oceania, otherwise known as ICAS, and Progressive Podcasts for allowing us to broadcast a panel discussion from last year's ICAS conference. The topic being discussed is anarchism and animal liberation, and the panel included three Australian activist scholars, Jess Eisen, Nick Prendergast and Lara Drew. So today we'll be broadcasting the panel presentation, but not the question and answer session that did follow um, the panel presentation. To put it in some context, it was pitched at the conference as a workshop to be given by three activist scholars who reflect on their experiences of anarchism and animal liberation, exploring the causes of speciesism, that's the discrimination on the basis of species, whilst taking a broader view of social justice and the nature of oppression. The premise of the discussion was that animal advocates have long argued that veganism is a necessary step within the goal of animal liberation. However, on its own, it's not enough. And so the panel focused on how a vegan ethic has the most promise if it is also anti-capitalist against all forms of domination and was one that embraced practices of total liberation underpinned by radical activism. So a little bit about the panellists. Jess Eisen is the representative for Institute for Critical Animal Studies in Oceania. She is a PhD candidate at La Trobe University and a tutor in Gender Studies and Animal Studies. Jess is also a rescuer for the Coalition Against Duck Shooting and Jess's writing can be found in the publication Overland. Lara Drew is a final year PhD candidate at the University of Canberra Her principal research lies in the field of learning and pedagogy, radical education, community development, activism and critical animal studies. Lara is a project director for ICAS in the Oceania uh, chapter and participates in various grassroots campaigns. The final panellist is Nick Prendergast and he has had many years' experience as a vegan advocate. He's also been active in other social movements and co-hosts the intersectional political podcast, Progressive Podcast Australia. He has a PhD in sociology and his thesis applied sociological theories on social movements and organisations to the animal advocacy movement. He has a PhD in sociology and his thesis applied sociological theories on social movements and organisations to the animal advocacy movement. He also teaches sociology at the University of Melbourne and criminology at Deakin University. Okay, so um, this workshop is about anarchism and animal liberation. Um, The three of us are all activists and scholars and we will reflect on our experiences with anarchism and animal liberation. Um, The workshop is a critical dialogue into the causes of speciesism whilst taking a broader view of social justice and the nature of oppression for both human and non-human animals. Um, Animal advocates have long argued that veganism is a necessary step within the goal of animal liberation, but arguably on its own it's hardly sufficient. Some components of the movement are still largely reliant on these capitalist consumerist methods through the use of law, government and consumerism. Um, And so in this panel we will focus on how a vegan ethic has the most promise if it is also anti-capitalist against all forms of domination and embraces as practices of total liberation underpinned by radical activism. So the three of us will kick off by presenting ourselves and our research experiences and um, experiences with anarchism and animal liberation. Then we'll touch on why anarchism and animal liberation needs to be considered within the animal advocacy movement. 
And thirdly, we will look at what anarchism and animal liberation looks like in activist practices and what we can do in that area. Um, so after we each take a turn, um, we'll have some time to discuss um, and have a bigger dialogue about it with the larger group. Um, but I just wanted to mention before we start, I just wanted to remind everyone to be mindful of sharing any sensitive, um, potentially illegal information and just to speak very generally about it all because it is being recorded. So Jess is going to kick off with the first question, which is... Uh, what we think anarchism and animal liberation is each, because we each have different experiences and interpretations of it. Um, so, yeah, we'll begin with Jess. Hi. Um, thanks for organising this panel, Lara. It's really exciting to be here. Um, I guess I guess I'm kind of a reluctant uh, anarchist. Um, sometimes when I'm trying to put labels on myself um, for what I would put my political position as, it's kind of like uh, an anarchist, self-Marxist, post-structuralist, Foucauldian, queer theorist, Butlerian, animal liberationist. Um, so anarchist often comes kind of near the top, um, simply because I think that um, anarchism is where I've seen the most potential for um, animal liberation uh, alongside other forms of um, human liberation. Um, so particularly I came to anarchism through uh, ICAS, actually. Before that, I wouldn't have really called myself an anarchist. Um, and one of the main reasons as well is because of ICAS's um, support of the Animal Liberation Front, um, who I see as um, an excellent example of an anarchist organisation, or um, perhaps organisation's the wrong word, non-organisation. Um, <laughs> so we, are, we will talk a bit more about the Animal Liberation Front. Um, for those who don't know about it, though, um, the Animal Liberation Front say um, anyone can be an Animal Liberation Front member as long as you stick to the guidelines, um, which are around not hurting um, anybody and um, helping non-human animals, uh, amongst other things. Um, and, yeah, so that can be anywhere around the world. And because it's non-hierarchical uh, and doesn't have any centralised organising uh, unit, um, it could be anywhere um, and doesn't have intentional hierarchies. Um, I also come to uh, anarchism through anti-capitalist politics, um, seeing the way that capitalism has um, so wrought, wrought so much havoc on humans, non-humans and the earth. Uh, and really, anarchism is one of the only places where I've seen um, some good... Uh, alternatives to capitalism, uh, particularly around trying to pull, pull apart hierarchies. Um, that being said, I think one of the key issues is uh, when we say when we say uh, no hierarchies. Of course, we always have uh, different forms of power in our organising communities, um, and so that's one of the flaws I see in um, anarchism is that um, through the through saying that there is no hierarchy, um, often actually there still is, um, particularly in what we call manichism. Uh, and so, actually, what I see that is one of the biggest flaws to anarchy is uh, manarchy, uh, and something that is very much not addressed within anarchist movements, and I would say really the biggest hindrance to anarchism getting any kind of popular uh, support. Um, I also come to anarchism through queer movements. Um, I've seen the ways in which um, uh, neoliberal capitalism has subsumed queer movements into itself and sold it back to us in the form of gay marriage or gays in the military. Um, but I think that in, within anarchism we have a radical potential for seeing a future that incorporates queers um, and the amazing work that queer anarchists have done to envision alternative futures um, and, and the times in which maybe we have almost reached um, an anarchist potential in our communities, um, even though we're, we're living with inside uh, capitalism. So that's some of the main ways I come at anarchism. Uh, maybe I'll stop because I could continue to rant for a while and pass over to you. Hi everyone, I'm Nick, and yeah, thanks to Lara for organising this and inviting me to be on it, and thanks for, yeah, great to see so many people here, thanks for coming along. And yeah, I, I think I'm probably not such a reluctant anarchist, as yes, I, I've kind of always, I mean, I say I've always embraced love, but I guess I haven't ever thought about, uh, thought about it till more recently, but for me, I got into uh, animal liberation, politics, and I don't mean so much politics, I don't mean liberal politics, but just caring about what's going on in the world generally, uh, through punk rock music, and so... For me, anarchism was just ob like obviously because I got into um, politics through that kind of route. It was obvious that yeah, anarchy was the only thing that I ever really considered. I guess if everything else was around me, but getting it through that specific sense was definitely 
um, always leading towards anarchism and also animals as well hearing a lot of um, the bands I was into the punk rock bands I was into were vegan and, and cared about animals and um, through the actually the Peter Peter 2 website was quite influential for me even though I have a lot of criticisms of Peter now as I'm sure many of us do but that was very influential watching those videos and, and from there I did you know hearing these bands speak about veganism and animal rights and then these kind of issues really made me then look further into into the issues so yeah definitely both animal liberation and anarchism was very much through uh, through punk rock and then yeah at university level it, it was just more a matter of having these things I already believe were kind of almost reinforced through um, through the university education so I did a unit on political ideologies where they covered just everything across the board and actually through speaking to the lecturer about anarchism he actually introduced a, a small component of anarchism to that unit and from looking at like all these different political ideologies political ideologies, I, I saw some benefits in other political ideologies, like liberalism, for example, like socialism, but I think yeah, I also had criticisms of those as well, and I think anarchism, for me, when I got to that more theoretical level, it incorporates the best elements of liberalism and socialism without the worst aspects, so when we come to liberalism, it kind of be all about, you know, all about individual government, getting out of your business, those kind of things, but when it comes back to taking care of each other and, and you know, being concerned that someone down the street might be starving and not having your food to eat, it kind of falls by the wayside. It's more about just individual rights and you know, get the government out of my business. And socialism is the opposite. I think it has some really important critiques of capitalism. Uh, but when it comes to individual rights, which I think are very important, or just the individual in general, um, it, it kind of falls away and that's dismissed as just bourgeois concerns and then these kind of things. So I think it devalues the individual. So I think there's both, uh, there's good aspects of both of those, but I guess the anarchism that I believe in anyway, which is a very left-wing form of anarchism, I guess I feel it incorporates the, yeah, the best aspects of those ideologies, which I have a lot of commonality with, but also some critiques with. Uh, also, in terms of punk rock, I, before listening to punk rock, I wouldn't have called myself an anarchist, but I think I always had those leanings. And yeah, I, I guess, yeah, there's a pamphlet, which I always forget the name of, but David Graeber is an anthropologist, right? Supply something like, we, uh, Jeff, do you know it? It's something like, you're, you may be an anarchist and not know it yet, or something along those lines anyway. But I, I've heard, I've read it myself, but I, I kind of felt that way when I heard anarchism. I was like, yeah, of course I don't want people to tell me what to do. I want to be in control of my own lives. It was kind of very uh, intuitive, I guess. And uh, with David Graeber, again, he mentioned when it comes to anarchism, that there's no Marxism, Leninism, Stalinism, there's no name in front of it. We don't need to read a particular theorist to be an anarchist. And obviously as a, as a sociologist myself, I'm really cautious about making arguments about what's natural and these kind of things. I wouldn't necessarily call anarchism natural, but I think we don't necessarily need to read a particular theorist um, to, be, to be an anarchist with that desire for freedom, um, to be in control of our own lives comes quite um, easily for most of us. And he also pointed out that the strains of communism that, that aren't named after a particular person, like council communism, uh, council communism, for example, they're actually the closest to anarchism. So the more anarchist they are, the less likely that, um, yeah, to be named after a particular person or a particular man, I guess, as uh, Jess has kind of raised already. Um, so, yeah, I guess for me, uh, yeah, anarchism is really important, I guess, not just in terms of that very... Uh, sort of shallow definition of not wanting a government, but in, in a very broad sense in terms of rejecting all hierarchy. Uh, again, as Jess has touched on, um, you know, when it comes to sexism and, and patriarchy, but also when it comes to animals as well. So yeah, I think animal liberation fits really well with anarchism. I'll pass it over to Lara. Um, so I'm an activist for animal liberation, and I also have, I do identify as an anarchist, and like Nick said, it's often been, I think it's long been an intuitive thing for me. I have, I didn't have a name for it earlier on in life, but I'm, yeah, definitely I'm aware of it now, so I openly identify as an anarchist. Um, I'm doing a PhD in education about the animal liberation movement, and in my spare time I write on anarchism and animal liberation. So last year I got the opportunity to co-write for a book chapter called um, Anarchy for Educational Practice in the Animal Liberation Movement in an Era of Capitalism. And I co-wrote that with Kim Socha, um, who's from ICAS in North America. So I just wanted to plug the book. Um, 2015 publication, so go online and order a copy if you're interested. Um, so my experiences with animal liberation have influenced me toward um, anarchism. 
I've always cringed at sort of hierarchical and authoritarian structures which are entrenched in um, society and even within activist spaces. Um, so what is anarchism to me? Well, it may help to begin by thinking rather of anarchisms. The term anarchism refers to a cluster of movements and theories that share a family of resemblance to each other rather than a largely enclosed and holistic system of thought like Marxism. Um, there are common principles that unify anarchists. Anarchy is opposed to the general hierarchical power relationships, as Nick and Jess have mentioned, and they oppose the state because the act of governing depends on the ex exercise of authority, hierarchy and domination. Um, this principle of opposition to hierarchy and imposed authority extends to an opposition to all dominating and exploitative social, political and economic power relationships. So this is not just capitalism and the state, but patriarchy, racism, sexism, speciesism and any other number of manifestations of power disparity. So what distinguishes anarchists from other political activists is that the anarchist opposes all forms of power disparity for both human and non-human animals. And anarchism connects to animal liberation because it views the government, the institutions, the state as unnecessary and harmful to not only humans but animals as well. So I think Nick and Jess have covered everything and that's all I had to say for that section. Um, so Jess will kick off again on with the question, why does anarchism and animal liberation need to be considered? Okay, um, so in my uh, in-depth preparation for this panel um, <coughs> and um, my 10 years of higher education, I found a good quote that I tucked away somewhere. Um, as a needless form of hierarchy, anarchists should reject the consumption, enslavement and subjugation of animals from human ends and identify it as yet another oppressive aspect of the relations of capital and a needless form of domination. I think that's from Bob Torres, but I didn't note that down. So as I say to my students, always reference, but do as I say, not as I do. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's from Bob Torres. Um, so I guess it needs to be considered because I think that um, right now in capitalism, um, we never see animal liberation. Um, there is no way, um, actually, I was having a conversation last night with Dinesh about a lot of this, um, Dinesh in the back, and we were talking about how um, often some animal liberationists just think, well, what we need is um, animal liberation and then the world will be fine. Um, well, firstly, animal liberation is never going to happen under capitalism. Um, even if everyone went vegan, there'd still be other ways animals would be exploited um, by the system because animals aren't commodities under capitalism. Um, but also there would be no animal liberation um, if we still have things like patriarchy and racism and so on uh, because they're so interlinked. Um, and so trying to um, create some kind of world in which we just uh, talk about animal liberation um, is, is, never, is just never going to happen um, in, in that way. So we need alternatives and, and I see one of those alternatives to be through anarchism. Um, and also, I think, um, as well, under capitalism, some of the issues we have around things like um, welfare reforms in um, from animal activists, um, whilst I, 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 some of them are really important, I do work for um, the Coalition Against Duck Shooting. Um, and, yeah, whilst I understand that that's a single-issue campaign, I think it's still, I still see importance. So I don't want to say, especially there'll be a lot of people in the room working really hard on one issue. It's definitely important. I'm not saying across the board that's wrong, but as a long-term agenda, um, obviously, when we know that when we work within it. Um, I know that when I'm out there um, with, the, with those men with their guns, I'm not stopping them from being shooters. I'm not stopping them from eating animals. I'm just hopefully um, helping some of those ducks and hopefully pissing off the shooters yes. um, in the <laughs> meantime. <laughs> um, so I think um, in terms of if we do want to talk about um, animal liberation, we need to talk about our ways to end capitalism. Um, and also um, seeing right now with the, what we've been talking a lot about, the ag-gag laws and the ways that um, activists are being labelled terrorists, um, is something that's quite, um, whilst the last talk really um, made me feel good, but maybe those laws aren't as scary as we... Uh, need to worry about right now. Um, I think that the labelling of us as terrorists um, is actually something that has been used a lot against anarchists as well. So we can actually learn a lot from anarchists from anarchists in the past um, who were called terrorists. Um, and, had, and so th there has been this long history of this used against people on the left uh, advocating for change. Um, so I think in, in relation to ending capitalism, we can learn a lot from anarchists in the past. 
um, but anarchism could give us a potential way to think through a, an alternative future um, that is has animal liberation as part of it. Yeah, Jess touched on the way in which these issues are interlinked, and yeah, one one way like I was always uh, on board with that message, but I still viewed the issues as separately. Um, so, for example, I was like, well, if we if we all become vegan then there are still going to be problems. There are still going to be problems with labour exploitation, racism, all these other issues that won't solve them. But I didn't necessarily see the fact that the, the, the fact that these issues are still going on is actually a barrier to veganism as well. So not only will these problems carry on, but also the fact that we're allowing these problems to carry on actually is an impediment to people going vegan as well. And yeah, that really struck me in a more sort of concrete way when uh, hearing Anthony and Seller through who Jess interviewed, talking about the way in which the fact that we have economic inequality makes veganism difficult for some people. Um, he was talking specifically in the US context in the context of food deserts, for example, it's very difficult. So while we've got this economic uh, marginalisation of people in the United States, particularly people of colour predominantly, um, then it's quite difficult for those people to go vegan because they often have like a lack of access to fruit and vegetables, let alone meat and dairy substitutes and these kind of things. So yeah, not only will veganism not solve those issues, but those issues are also a barrier to veganism, um, which obviously impacts animals as well. Elliot Whitmore with Old Devils. You're tuned to Freedom of Species and we're partway through a panel discussion that was held at the Institute of Critical Animal Studies Oceania Conference in Canberra last year. The topic is anarchism and animal liberation and the panel included three Australian activist scholars, Jess Ison, Nick Prendergast and Lara Drew. But yeah, I wanted to briefly mention, we have been talking about anarchism and we haven't gone on about the Spanish Revolution yet, so I thought I'd better do that. Um, yeah, so uh, this is a book I've been reading. I've just read the start of it, uh, Free, Women, Free Women of Spain, Anarchism and the Struggle for the Emancipation of Women. So it's, it's uh, on the Spanish Revolution, but I guess a feminist perspective, and it focuses specifically on uh, Mujeres Libres. Uh, sorry, sorry for the pronunciations, but um, it's women's organisations within the broader sort of anarchist organisations like the C. And just from reading that, I, I thought that was quite um, relevant actually to the, this panel, and so I was going to make some links from that book. Um, and yeah, I guess in terms of um, yeah, why anarchism might be beneficial to animal, animal liberation, I think the way we structure our organisation could benefit a lot from anarchist principles. So. Yeah, basically, um, this, this author argues that um, it, she says that it's assumed that we need some people giving orders and the rest are good citizens in the case of sort of liberal democracies or good revolutionaries in the case of socialism, as in we've still got people following and, and some people giving orders and it's only anarchists that reject that and I think that, again, is really important in terms of why I'm anarchist and why Jess and Lara are anarchists as well. Um, no, not so much. <laughs> Sorry, I lost Jess there, but... Um, but yeah, um, but basically, yeah. In contrast, to that kind of thinking of needing leaders and followers. Anarchists argue that formal. This is again still from the book. Anarchists argue that formal hierarchies are not only harmful but unnecessary, and there are alternative, more egalitarian ways to order social life. Hierarch hierarchical institutions foster alienated and exploitative relationships among those who participate in them, which disempower people. So, yeah, again, linking that back to animal advocacy, I think if we have more anarchist organising practices and trying to do things of working together rather than having leaders and followers, uh, we can, I guess, more theoretically, we can have, like, as um, animal advocates are often going against, like, governments and corporations, for example, like with the kangaroo colours governments and, yeah, with meat and dairy industry and these kind of things, it's often um, corporations, though, backed by the state. Uh, but they have very hierarchical structures. So we think, you know, the Prime Minister, Deputy Prime Minister works down in the state and corporations, we have the CEO and so the way in which they have more power at the top and they also have more income. 
But when we have social movements opposing these institutions, we often follow these same hierarchies. If you think of like professionalised non-profits, we have the CEO who has more money than the people lower down, has more power, and then we move down that hierarchy. And so we have most people at the top, sorry, the smallest amount of people at the top of the organisation making the most money and with the most power. And most people in that organisation have, have less power and less, you know, are paid less in those organisations that have paid staff. So, yeah, I think, it, again, we're opposing speciesism, which is about hierarchies. I think we should challenge hierarchy in our organisations, um, so more philosophically, but also, yeah, I think our activism will be more empowering as well if we have that more horizontal structure uh, of them. We've all got the same level of power rather than the hierarchical structure. Uh, in terms of why animal liberation in anarchism, how animal liberation can benefit anarchism, we've kind of touched on this a bit, but the importance of rejecting all hierarchies. So again, referring back to this book, um, anarchism as opposed to maybe things like socialism where it's like we want this really democratic free society but the way to get there is a dictatorship of the proletariat and then that will somehow lead to the withering away of the state um, there's a really emphasis on the importance of means and ends so if we want a non-hierarchical society we need a non-hierarchical movement to achieve that um, and we need to prepare for revolution through these egalitarian practices, which leads to a new reality. And so without this preparation of building up these egalitarian, non-hierarchical practices, revolution would just lead to authority in new forms. So the USSR, USSR is an example of that, where there wasn't this necessarily um, yeah, planning for revolution. So like we get rid of the new you know, the existing power, then it will all be fine, but then new, new forms of power take place if we don't have those more egalitarian practices. And so in terms of if we want this freedom, we need to not just abolish capitalism, but also overcome sexism, which was a focus of this book, but also other forms of oppression as well, such as speciesism. So I think if anarchists take into, practice, take into account speciesism and domination of animals, that will help with this broader philosophy of, of I guess, freedom for everyone and, and greater freedom overall. Okay, so I'm going to talk about, again, why anarchism and animal liberation needs to be considered as a central framework by drawing upon a couple of, a couple of examples that Tim Socher and I mentioned as we, we, we wrote the chapter. Uh, we coalesced on a lot of ideas, so some of what I have said is what Tim has said as well. Um, so while it is certainly the case that animal liberation and environment, well, animal and in environmental exploitation could exist and has existed without capitalism, the structure and nature of capitalism has deepened, extended and worsened our domination over animals and the natural world. Um, so one example that I wanted to draw on first was um, the capitalist model entrenched within the animal advocacy movement. Um, and the dominant vegan outreach methods that are currently um, very prominent. So vegan outreach media often uses images of young, thin, white or muscular vegans, thereby subjecting pressure on viewers to conform to the Western ideal of beauty. Um, so in general, this often displays a message of veganism equals thin white bodies. Um, so this approach reinforces oppressive tactics of body policing for example, the shaming of overweight people masked under the guise of health advice is used to sell veganism as an attractive product. So activists generally, from what I've seen, doing use these strategies that I call their strategies used by the diet industrial complex. And they are playing upon people's inadequacies if they do not fit the Western ideal of beauty. Um, and this approach perpetuates that commodity cultural mindset that one must be a certain way, such as very thin or muscular and toned, to be attractive. Um, so another issue uh, is that the vegan outreach, as we have observed in both Australia and the US, is largely consumer-focused, as has been mentioned previously, and it's very removed from liberationist values that anarchism, I think, can offer the movement. Of course, uh, veganism is necessary. I'm not arguing that it's, you know, not um, within the goal of animal liberation, but on its own, as I said to begin with, it's hardly sufficient. As it stands, global meat consumption is growing at steady rates despite increased media focus on animal welfare issues. For anarchist vegans, there are certainly ethical 
implications when consuming anything within an economic cultural system that encourages continuous unlimited growth. Um, and there is no guarantee that humans and human and animals are free from violence under a system that needs to expand and profit at all costs. Um, so there's also this presumption that buying products marked as vegan is the end game of animal liberation, as opposed to challenging political and institutional structures that promote, as Nick was saying, hierarchy, capitalism and other forms of oppression. Um, so I think using the argument to change the world we must begin with ourselves can be very simplistic at times because it risks seeing individual choice as a solution to wider social issues. Um, so the underlying assumption here is that if you purchase only products labelled vegan, you will have done all that is expected to make the world a better place, and that's it. Um, the underlying message is that vegan capitalism will save animals. So the sole focus of vegan commodities draws attention away from other negative production practices that actually exploit people or harm the ecosystem, uh, which are the basis and underpinning of the capitalist structures. So whilst I'm not arguing... Yeah, so personal choice, of course, is fundamental. It's intrinsic to change. Um, this approach by itself inherently accepts these dominant discourses of power and I think it ignores important structural factors um, of exploitation. So instead, radical social and a political model of activism and veganism is very much needed. Otherwise, um, veganism becomes relegated to this elitist lifestyle practice. Um, so I think as a movement to be effective, we must be willing to dig more deeply into these social issues, even if it means challenging those in our communities to consider these wider systemic issues that um, at play just so we can foster animal liberation and other um, challenge other types of exploitation. So anarchism can direct animal liberation to that goal, which we've sort of already mentioned, but I'll touch on a little bit more later. So Jess will kick off now with what she thinks anarchism and animal liberation will look like, what it looks like in practice. Um, okay, so I think um, one of the things um, to, when I think about this question, what does anarchism and animal liberation look like in practice, um, is I think, well, sometimes in, um, in animal liberation movements or in ICAS, um, we kind of forget about the animals themselves. Um, and actually, um, I read a thing from P Patrice Jones who talked about how animals are um, anarchists because they don't respect our borders or rules mm -hmm. uh, and they don't follow um, the, the, the certain... Um, etiquette we have in place around, you know, sex, gender, and so on. So I think it's important to um, think about how we can learn anarchism from animals themselves. Um, in terms of ICAS, I mean, one of our things, to, I'll just touch on quickly, is that we are, yeah, we do organise collectively, so we do try to have an anarchist practice in place, which is something, um, a small step towards that in the future, having a more anarchist uh, way of relating to one another. Um, but I see it so amazingly again in the animal liberation front. Um, who do, um, who are, from my research that I've done on the Animal Liberation Front, or um, and, um, particularly in a lot of the, uh, have that, of their actions have been documented in America, um, doing things uh, without any type of um, ego, without being seen, um, nobody knows who they are, um, and centering the animals who they rescue uh, and rehome, uh, which is, I think, one of an important step of something we can do in the now in terms of being anarchist um, animal liberationists is to support people in the animal liberation front. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about uh, really intensely when I was um, looking at this question, uh, when Lara sent it to me, and then again from a big conversation I had with Dinesh, um, whose book you should all read called The War Against Animals, Dinesh Wadiwell, um, who's sitting in the back and has promised to ask me some intense questions about anarchism, <laughs> which would be great. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, Emma Goldman, who was an anarchist, um, there's a quote that goes around um, from her, which then I tried to fact check on, again, from my great academic work on Wikipedia. Um, it has been somewhat kind of paraphrased, uh, where she says, if I can't dance, it's not my revolution. 
And I think that um, one of the things we've got to remember is that it, an anarchist future is, isn't just one about um, what we want to change, but it's about things that we could have. And the importance of that is thinking about um, pleasure and, the, and uh, what we can get as, as um, something pleasurable to live for. Um, Dinesh talks about often how vegans, he calls them um, a kind of the new flagellants. Um, if you saw his talk last year, often we kind of flagellate ourselves when we do something wrong. But actually, um, you know, Dinesh also talks a lot about the ways in which we could have um, increased pleasure um, if we didn't have a capitalist society. And so as vegans, something we can, and animal liberationists and anarchists, something we want to think about is the ways that we can radically change what capitalism says our pleasure should be. Um, and again, if I take this back to queer communities, um, one of the things that we have done so amazingly is to create our own forms of um, pleasure and enjoyment in the face of uh, heteronormativity that says our desires are wrong or um, disgusting or perverted. Uh, and also one of the ways that we've done that is through things like um, uh, dancing at bars uh, and taking back space to be our own. Um, and particularly that's why things like that's why the shootings at Orlando were so um, devastating to so many in the queer community because they're spaces that we've created uh, to find our own forms of pleasure and to find our own forms of um, of joy and desire um, and to legitimate those uh, joys and desires and it's also why I'm so against gay marriage because it's reinforcing a certain uh, model of relationships uh, around heteronormative monogamy that is so much a source of dis pleasure or dis-ease for many people. Um, so within queer, um, anarchism is actually a place where we can think about how to have radical futures that are, aren't based on the models that capitalism gives to us um, so that we're good consumers and we follow uh, what capitalism tells us to do. Um, and also, what, just one other point I want to touch on um, is that an anarchist and all liberationist future is one that doesn't have prisons either. Um, as animal activists, we should be thinking about prison abolition as well, um, because a society with prisons is not going to be one that um, has animal liberation in it. So um, a, a prison abolition really is one of the ways that we can move forward um, in terms of human liberation, um, particularly if we think in Australia around the refugee crisis, that we contain people without uh, any form, without much um, dissent from a lot of people, because we have no concern around locking people in cages or locking animals in cages. So, in, in summary, an anarchist animal liberation future would be one um, with lots of pleasure, no prisons, um, hopefully some great queer sex and um, relationships that we uh, create in our own models. Alright, it's hard to follow. They got nothing about sex. I'm sorry. Jeff's got that covered, so it's all good. I'm just going to bring some more points on from this free, uh, free women of Spain and again link that to um, what anarchism and animal, animal liberation might look like in practice. And yeah, this book, just to start, but I found the introduction quite interesting because she links the, what was going on in Spain in 1936 and 1937 and, and that kind of period in Spain to contemporary US anarchism. And she argued that. Um, the contemporary US anarchists are too concerned with destroying property without any clear, positive, reconstructive program. Um, and yeah, I guess kind of from a feminist standpoint, not to say that you know women are sort of biologically programmed to be like that, but I guess socially some of this kind of can, can be more sort of macho, male, um, dominated kind of activism. And she was arguing that, yeah, rather, yeah, there, there is a lot of that going on, um, rather than actually cultivating direct democracy, the kind of stuff I was talking about last time. So, sort of um, attacking the existing structures rather than building up our own. Um, and then she did point out, though, although um, property destruction, that kind of thing, is likely to get more media coverage, where sort of, yeah, this sort of ongoing organising behind the scenes is less likely to get the media attention. So she was saying that it's hard to know what's actually happening more because, yeah, that you get a skewed. Uh, perception from the media. But she was arguing that, uh, again, back in Spain, there was not, again, not just opposition to you know, the state or, or corporations, whoever, uh, but actually constructing this new world in the midst of the old. So obviously we do have to confront the existing institutions, but really emphasising this, creating the new world in the midst of the old has been a really important part of anarchism. And that's where I see the importance of veganism in terms of uh, creating this new world in the midst of the old. 
And so, yeah, I know like my partner, for example, is doing a lot of work on their site, Happy Cow, and just getting reviews up and putting photos up. And obviously in, in sort of anarchist and liberation circles, that could kind of be looked down on as kind of not doing the real activism and, and, that, and that kind of thing. But I think that is really important in terms of being able to go out, you know, enjoying food, knowing where vegan restaurants are. I think that is quite important in creating that new world, even though, again, we also have to challenge capitalism and other forms of oppression. But I think that is, that is quite important. And I, I just wrote a paper actually with a friend who does work on indigenous issues and we looked at basically activism that um, works within the existing system so she was looking at um, indigenous people accepting and promoting constitutional recognition uh, and then she looked at more radical aspects which were opposing it um, and then she looked at sort of the alternative which was kind of almost withdrawing from the system in terms of just creating um, uh, more independent indigenous communities separate to the state and so again I, I looked at that in terms of the animal movement and kind of the parallels in terms of uh, around um, live export in terms of um, or, or welfare in general we have those advocates kind of accepting the system as, as it is we had those confronting it head on in terms of the animal liberation front, actually directly confronting corporations and governments. And we also get this kind of withdrawal as well. And yeah, in terms of veganism, in terms of its sort of, um, I guess, implications for veganism, I argue that in some ways, uh, veganism is less of a challenge even than welfare reforms because basically these industries lose a small portion of their consumers, I guess, and they have slightly less profits. But beyond that, they don't have to change what they do at all. So in some ways, it's less of a challenge even than welfare reform. It's certainly less of a challenge to these industries than animal liberation front kind of activity. So it does have its limitations. I'm certainly not saying this is the only thing that needs to happen in the movement. But again, I think it is very important on that sort of creating that new world. So even though it's not really challenging these industries in a fundamental way, it is sort of showing how we can have a world where these industries don't exist or don't need to exist or we don't even want them to exist. So I think it is quite important in terms of creating that new world. And yeah, um, in terms of the Animal Liberation Front, who uh, Jess and Lara are much more informed about than me, so I won't say much about them, but in some ways they do create this new world as well in terms of rescuing animals, treating them with respect and showing to how we would like animals to be treated. Although I would also point out that most ALF actions don't involve rescuing, uh, rescuing animals. Um, Carol Glass's work is really interesting on this, and that there's these two debates about the animal liberation front in the movement. One side said the animal liberation is great because they rescue animals and that's really important. The other side says, no, they're all violent because they're burning down slaughterhouses and those kind of things. And actually, either ends of those spectrums are very rare. You know, we get a tiny percentage where animals are rescued, and we get a tiny percentage where there's maybe more full-on property damage, like arson, for example. But most of the ALF activity is things like graffiti, you know, meat is murder or something like that. So I think, yeah, uh, saying that it's all about rescuing animals, I think it's not generally the case. But also saying it's about violence, putting people in danger and those kind of things. Again, that's also a very small proportion as well. But um, I'll pass it over to Lara. Okay. Oh, um, so a lot of my research and the article that I mentioned before is about anarchism and how it can form animal activist communities um, to advance this anti-capitalist stance and anti-hierarchical politics, which is what um, Nick and Jess were touching on before. So there may be a little bit of repetition here, um, but some of the fundamental anarchist principles in include levelling hierarchy, championing autonomy and choice, and consensus decision making. Um, so it's about how can we creatively construct these non-hierarchical and anti-authoritarian spaces for animal activists in particular, but any activist community really. Um, I'm drawing on animal rights because that's where most of my experience comes from. Um, so many mainstream animal rights organisations are run with this very hierarchical top-down leadership that creates this ongoing reliance on the experts to act on issues rather than autonomously acting on issues ourselves. Um, so there's also this reliance on ongoing um, reliance from activists on, um, on corporatised and professionalised others to engage in the most important advocacy for change. So volunteers of organisations, in my experience, generally have relatively little power and choice and generally work under the direction of those in charge. So I think a critical anarchist principle that can influence activist groups is that they should be organised not on the basis of these hierarchical centralist top-down structures, but 
on a foundation of mutual voluntary agreements in which activists unlearn passivity and deconstruct hierarchy and their relationships within their activist roles and with each other. So what I propose is that, you know, less rigid structures with more flexibility. Um, when first um, joining the movement, the organisation I was with at the time, um, this was back in 2010, ran in a very sort of format, uh, traditional format with formal positions of, of a hierarchical nature ranging from president to vice president and other traditionalised committee roles. Um, so I began advocating and, and proposing to erase these stratified positions. Um, a collective format was implemented instead um, in a similar way to what we do with ICAS. And with time, a non-hierarchical format of the group promoted this atmosphere where activists became far more self-directed and less reliant on leaders in charge at the time. Um, and I think this alteration crea created a sense of collective responsibility and empowered everyone to become involved in various activist tasks. Um, that they initially didn't think they could do. Um, so my experience aligns with the objectives of the anarchist process where this group atmosphere transformed or changed and developed um, into a collective format which promoted this autonomy and self-directed learning. And it facilitated an environment of self-reliance where activists engaged more actively in the roles It became more confident um, of their own skill base where individuals um, determined the best ways they could be of serve to the cause and not to a committee. So having these alternative spaces helps challenge interspecies domination for not only animals but that we seek to liberate but, the, but for the people we seek to work with. Working independent, independently or in small collectives is the most promising way to start, I think, rather than these traditional committee structures with authority over members and volunteers. Um, all, everyone should be seen as equal participants who can decide on campaign issues. Uh, with the goal of overcoming domination and hierarchy, we must remain in our um, insight at all times, and this should be done in an activist context. Anarchist theory and practice confronts these interlocking nature um, and systems of abuse and domination that underpins human and non-human animals. Um, so I'll sum up here, but anarchism and animal liberation emphasises these pro-intersectional and multi-movement activist approaches um, and a deeper, more broader critical analysis of exploitation. You've been listening to a panel discussion from the Institute of Critical Animal Studies Oceania conference that was held in Canberra last year. The presenters were Lara Drew, Jess Ison and Nick Prendergast. If you'd like to hear more talks from the conference, you can go to the Progressive Podcast Australia website, which is titled progressivepodcastaustralia.com. Uh, Nick Prendergast, who we heard today, who was on the panel, is the presenter of that podcast. So please spend a bit of time on the website and I'm sure you'll find some interesting talks and discussions. And if you'd like to find out more information about the Institute of Critical Animal Studies, you can at www.criticalanimalstudies.org and from that website there's links to all the different chapters worldwide, so also including Oceania. This is Natalie from Blue King Brown and you're listening to 3CR. Support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. We do have time for some community announcements just before the end of the show. Animal Liberation Victoria is teaming up with Raw Events to bring us the Australian premiere of What the Health. So that's the highly anticipated follow-up to the award-winning documentary Cowspiracy, The Sustainability Secret. What the Health is a documentary that follows the revelatory journey of intrepid filmmaker Kip Anderson. So it sounds very similar uh, format to Cowspiracy, but this time he is uncovering the deleterious impacts of highly processed industrial animal foods on our personal health and wider community. 
The deeper Kip investigates, the more he becomes concerned. Why would leading health organisations still continue to promote such industries despite countless medical studies and research demonstrating the harm they cause? I think some avid 3CR listeners might have an idea of the answer to that question, but if you'd like to know the details of the answer to that question, head along to the Astor Theatre in St Kilda on the 28th of March. The film starts at 7.15, but... The night begins at 6.15 and so you can buy a ticket for $18 and then have an option to purchase a dinner meal box um, for additional $14. Tickets are available from Sticky Tickets, so I would just uh, put in Animal Liberation or Raw Events and What the Health um, and do the same if you want more information on Facebook um, to get their Facebook page for the event. After the film, there will also be a panel discussion with a Q&A. So it's worth hanging around. It sounds like a full night. So just the, the details there again, March the 28th. The night starts at 6.15, but the movie actually or the documentary starts at 7.15 with an option of buying meal, which will be healthy meal boxes. Um, also, we have, would you believe, another national shut-it-down rally for greyhounds. Um, after the horror that was exposed by Four Corners, Animal Lib Queensland and AA Animal, Animals Australia, um, it's hard to believe that we still need this rally, but we do. Perhaps um, I think it's suggesting the government may have a gambling problem, the fact that greyhound racing still exists. So tell them that you want it shut down on Sunday, April the 9th in Melbourne. That's 11am till noon at Parliament House. In Sydney, it will be 10am at Wentworth Park and in Brisbane, 10am in Queen's Park. More information available from the Shut It Down Facebook page. So just again, that is Sunday, April the 9th. Put it in your diary. Uh, I know that um, the Animal Justice Party has also been very active on this issue. And so that's it for the show today. Stay tuned to uh, 3CR for the rest of the afternoon and we'll see you back at Freedom of Species next week. And we'll go out with another tune from William Elliot Whitmore and this is Johnny Law. Well, I was driving down the road Just minding my own When Johnny Law pulled up from behind He walked up to my window And said, roll it down And let me see what I can find I said, no way What's mine is mine I'd appreciate it if you leave me be He said, I'll leave you be alright in a cell all night I'll lock you up and throw away the key He slapped them cuffs on my wrist And my hands clenched into fists And I wished I could have punched him in the jaw And knocked out old Johnny Law Old Johnny Law Johnny Law the littlest man I ever saw with his badge and his gun.